Have you read the Fahrenheit 9-11 Teacher's Guide from the Michael Moore's website? No, I didn't. I uh, read the, a little bit of the Bowling for Columbine Teacher's Guide, though. Let me read to you one of the questions from the Teacher's Guide from Fahrenheit 9-11. In cities like Flint, where the jobless rate is 17% and poor people suffer and die needless deaths, is it fair to say that they are suffering from a form of terrorism? What kind of question is that? I mean... Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 66 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today joins us from Baltimore. Adam Reuter, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thanks for having me. Adam, why don't you tell our listeners about yourself? Um, I'm from, actually I'm from a town right off Baltimore called Dundalk. But I say I'm from Baltimore because nobody knows where Dundalk is. Um, I am a filmmaker. I've been a filmmaker and an audio guy since 1998 when I was about 14 years old. And recently I put out a documentary about Michael Moore. And why did Michael Moore intrigue you as a subject? Um, I started watching his show, The Awful Truth, right after I saw Bowling for Columbine. And... As a filmmaker and as somebody in the politics, you know, I really appreciated his work and, you know, his new ideas and stuff that I never saw before. But then one time when I Googled Bowling for Columbine, here this website, the truth about Bowling for Columbine comes up, and I was just like, man, I was fooled. And I want to get more into that particular movie, Bowling for Columbine, because when I saw that movie, the first thing, especially when I saw him holding the gun coming out of the bank, the first thing I said was bullshit. So <laughs> um, it sounded like you kind of came to that conclusion a little later. But but first of all, let me ask you this. Is Michael Moore still a working class guy, or is he just portraying himself as one by the way he dresses? Well, in a lot of his interviews, he always talks about you know how he buys suits from Sears and how he only or uh, somebody asked him a question when when he was at a college near my town about what what kind of how do you live how do you live your life on a daily basis and he said basically I live as if I had middle class money and I'm thinking wait a minute you're living in a one million plus apartment in New York City and he always says oh it's above a baby gap store but if you look at Manhattan you know they have like Virgin Music and they have all these other little shops but apartments there are very very expensive so you know he kind of yes I don't I don't think he's no he's no longer a middle American person just because his net worth is so much but uh, I kind of think he tries to stay in tune with people but he's already a part of that elite, especially with you know his many Hollywood appearances. So you could say this is mostly shtick. It wasn't when he first started off. But now it is. Now it's 
Yeah, to try to be a part of an audience. It's kind of like how George Bush, when he's in Texas, he'll you know speak with a southern accent, but on TV uh, in another country, he'll try not to have that accent. When you have examined Michael's films, is Michael just using his creative license? <laughs> uh, creative license to only tell half the story? I don't think so. And why don't you think so? Because, you know, he purports to have so-called fact-checkers, but they're not checking all the facts. And if you're saying that your work is nonfiction, you need to make sure you're not changing reality to an extent where you're changing the context of something completely. To expound on this question a little bit more, would you classify his films as more of an essay instead of a documentary? I would, and he did after, you know, for, for Fahrenheit 9-11. It's not advertised as an essay or as an opinion piece. In his interviews, he said that it was, but you're advertising as almost like a news program. And Hollywood doesn't have a news department. They shouldn't, and if... <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this about Michael Moore. We've had a lot of international guests on our programs, and one of the questions I ask is, what do you think is the image of Americans? And one of the image that they portray or that they tell us about is that they think that Americans are loud and fat. So is Michael Moore a prototypical loud, fat American? <laughs> Um, if you put it that way, yeah, but I would say that, you know, you have a mix of just, you know, people in America, you know, you got a lot of people who are depressed, a lot of people who are skinny. So, I mean, you really got a mix, but as far as foreign, are you, you're asking me about foreign, like how pe foreign, foreign people see us? Yeah. For example, I asked a guest from Australia, what are their perceptions of, of Americans? And, and how do most Australians see Americans? And they said, we see Americans as kind of loud and fat. And to me, there's nothing that says loud and fat more than Michael Moore. Yeah, loud, loud, fat. And I would add, not in Michael Moore's case, but sexually repressed. Are the critics attacking his work or are they attacking his character? I would say more so his work. But because he gets so much attention... Um, you know, there's a lot of, just a lot of people going after him, so. Let's talk about some of the films that Michael Moore has done. What are some of the facts that you're challenging in Bowling for Columbine? Um, you meant, earlier you mentioned the bank scene, and in that he goes into a bank seemingly in about maybe a three-hour period, and opens up a bank account, doesn't tell you what type of bank account, but uh, he, he goes in there, opens up a bank account, and walks out with a rifle. Now, to anybody who saw that, they might have thought, okay, what did he do, open up a checking account or something? But no, the reality was he opened up, at bare minimum, a $1,000 certificate of deposit account, and in reality, had there not been a camera there, he couldn't have picked that shotgun or that uh, rifle up because that's just not how the bank does it. How does the, the, uh, how does the bank do it? 
the, the rifles are actually in the main bank branch, I think. And after, I don't know, a two-week waiting period or whatever the waiting period is, you get your gun delivered to you. I don't know how. I don't know where you pick it up, but it's not actually inside the bank the day that you pick, get your banking account. Um, they Michael Moore had set that up months ahead of time, and that is never told to the audience. It's very misleading. And um, the funny thing is it was actually a good promotional thing for the bank because people have said uh, – Hey, I saw what you I saw your bank offer in, in Bowling for Columbine. Can I get my rifle? Have you gone to visit Michael Moore's website? Not recently. Because in his website, he says that that footage is exactly how it happened. But here's my take on that. I think that's exactly how it happened for him as a Hollywood director. But but something that I as the average everyday citizen in that town could not walk into the bank and walk out with a rifle. And that's why I said, this is BS. Yeah. And if um, anybody's seen Michael Moore hates America, they actually speak to the bank employees that were in that scene and they tell, you know, their side of the story. And by law, I don't, I don't even know if they really could give the rifle out that quick. You know, they do got to ha- have a background check, but like I said, there's a waiting period. Yeah, there's a waiting period. You can't walk out of the bank with a gun holding it over your hand. That's why I just said, okay, I know where this movie is going, and it's just, it's his reality that only exists through filmmaking, if that makes sense. An edited reality? Yes. Perhaps. I I don't call that much of a reality when you're, you know, you're having to instruct, you know, somebody, like, like to me, if, if you have a reality show, there shouldn't be a lot of prompting. Maybe to get an alternate angle of something that you're going to use for like B-roll footage, but not something that you're going to change to kind of push your argument. And 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 the first, actually, um, this is kind of another subject, but on the same realm. Uh, have you ever have you ever watched like WWF wrestling or? Sure. Yeah, uh, Mick Foley. You familiar with him? No, I'm not. Okay, he was uh, Cactus Jack, Mankind, Dude Love. He was a variety of characters in the, in the WWF and WCW. ABC New or a, yeah, ABC 2020 interviewed him, and this is in uh, I believe his first book. They interviewed him about backyard wrestling, and they just took his words out of context. Uh, Michael Jackson, remember that interview where uh, there there was his interview, and then there was the one that appeared on Fox. Mm-hmm. Where they changed, like they, like the, there was an extension to the question, and they cut that out. Yeah, that stuff happens all the time. I, I don't think it's right, especially if it's portrayed as news. Right, and like you know, you'll have you'll have your um your voiceover, the, the, the reporter giving a voiceover, and then taking something that Mick Foley said out of context of what the original question was and out of context of what he said before that and what he said after that, you know? Like, they'll just show when he's getting passionate, you know? What are some of the other facts that you're challenging with Bowling for Columbine? Um, another thing in Bowling for Columbine was the Charlton Heston speech in Denver, Colorado that was supposedly given in reaction to the uh, Columbine incident. Now Michael Moore doesn't say that, but he also he he doesn't you know tell you that 
this meeting was scheduled two two years in advance that the NRA couldn't cancel the meeting because of laws and that the NRA canceled every single event except for the one that was required by law to happen. Um, and in, on top of that, the worst part about that, that segment was that it was cut together to make Charlton Heston look very negative towards um, the people who were protesting him, to people who were, you know, like gun control advocates. In the movie, there are also some continuity mistakes. For example, you can look at Charlton Heston and say that he's wearing two different outfits. Yeah, um, there's, there's a, uh, the very opening shot of Charlton Heston in the segment right after the, uh, Columbine, the Columbine segment where everybody's crying and, you know, they, they just showed footage from the um, video surveillance cameras. There's a shot of Charlton Heston with a musket over his head that was taken from a speech a year after the actual speech that you're shown. Um, so yeah, there's that, you know, that taking two different pieces of footage from two different, uh, speeches, but, um, I didn't really have too big of a problem with that. It was more so where he would actually take one sentence and combine it with another to make it look like he was saying, I, I, I believe it was, and I said to the mayor, we're already here, something like that. I can't, I can't um, remember verbatim, but it's a big issue when you're covering up, you're, when you're combining sentences and when you're, co- when you're covering up sentences with like applause and audience shots, that's how that whole segment's edited together. In your opinion, why does he do that? He does that. I, he just doesn't agree that guns should be legal in the United States. And, and anybody, you know, like you said, in his reality, all Charlton Heston said was the bad stuff. But if you actually like look at the like a, like a complete transcript of the speech, which Michael Moore actually offers to you on um, that website, you're probably cr- uh, reading like his rebuttals to his criticisms. Oh yeah, the the wacko attackos. Yes, he actually provides Charlton Heston's speech, but you know, it, like like I said, it's it's a very respectful speech. And the NRA canceled all their other events that weren't required by law. So does he do this, in your opinion, hoping that people don't find out, or does he think that people just won't take the effort and take the time to discover all these flaws? Both. Because, like I said, if it, if it wasn't by chance that I Googled bowling for Columbine, I wouldn't have uh, discovered that. But now because, and that was back in 2002 when, I guess, the internet was pretty bit more mainstream, but you know, a lot of people won't do their own research. It's true. Now I have not watched Fahrenheit nine eleven. Tell me some of the facts that you're challenging about that movie. Um, the opening scene starts with the t- election two thousand scandal. I'm sure, you remember that? Yes. Yeah, it it starts the movie starts out with that and how um basically he was saying uh African Americans were purged from voting and just many many problems with that election and I agree there were a lot of problems with that but not everything was uh was said like how um 
these these purge lists were created just, just to kind of get felons off list, to get people who were dead off list. And the the purge the purging was not done for the presidential election. It was actually done because there was a uh, a mayoral scandal in 1998 or 1997. I can't remember which year, but there was a problem where like dead people were voting and felons were voting, and so it, it took them about a year or so to get that um, to go through, and that created a lot of problems. Now, what Michael Moore doesn't tell you is about 25, 27 counties didn't even consider those lists because of all the problems. So, um, yeah, like, the, so the Florida call was re- really close, and I think President Bush ended up winning three out of the four ways that they were counted, and the counts were still going on a year, you know, even even into after 7, September 11th, I believe, um, different media places were still counting those votes. But um, that's that's one thing that I I address in, uh, in part two of the documentary. Okay. Are there any other facts that you're challenging from Fahrenheit 9-11? Yeah, there was a, during that election footage, there was a shot of the, the Panagraph newspaper, which is a small newspaper. I, I can't remember which state it's in, at, um, off the top of my head, but it said Gore wins the election or something like that. And it was made to look like a story from the newspaper, like a headline, but it actually wasn't. It was a letter to the editor and the date on the newspaper was wrong. So this is just a manipulation of a newspaper. And this newspaper actually said, look, all we want from you is an apology so, you know, take it out of the movie if you can, and one dollar in compensatory damages. You know, they were just kind of like making a little joke about it. But, you know, why would you change a newspaper headline, or why would you change a an op-ed letter to make it look like it was a news story, unless you're really, really trying to dig deep into something that wasn't, you know? And especially if you're trying to promoted as a documentary yeah and whoever did that graphic why would they change the date of the newspaper is that to try to throw people off when they're trying to do their own research did they not think the panograph was going to see this movie you know why didn't they change the date for the dvd release they knew it happened the panograph complained back in uh was it June that Fahrenheit 9-11 came out, June of 2004? So they complained a few months before the DVD was actually released. They had time to change the film. But they just didn't care. Apparently not, because I believe Liongate's film's uh, lawyers said that that Michael Moore didn't do anything wrong. So they didn't change it. Let me play devil's advocate with creative license with Michael Moore's films. For example... The movie Fargo. Have you seen the movie Fargo? No, I haven't. Okay. It it claims that this was based on a true story. But it really wasn't based on a true story. Can Michael Moore say the same thing for his movies? And is that fair to the audience? And why or why not? It's not because I'm not familiar with Fargo. But whenever a movie is based on a true story, it adds dramatic elements to make the more make it more interesting however 
for Michael Moore's type of films, he's using actual news footage. He's using interviews. Um, it's not like a fictional work where somebody, you know, wrote a script and like I said, added dramatic elements, maybe played around with the stuff. And also he never says that my, my documentaries are based on a true story. You know, as if you're entering it into the documentary genre, there's no basing. It should be a true story, period, 100%. Okay, here's another devil's advocate question. What would be the difference between a Michael Moore film and an Oliver Stone film such as JFK? I haven't seen JFK, but um, I've heard a little bit about it. And I would say, once again, you know, that's kind of dramatizing conspiracies. And that's different in that, once again, you're using, well, I, was, I guess news footage was used in uh, that movie, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. But you have actors portraying real-life characters, right? Yeah, well, okay. Okay, that, that, I would say that's a big difference. And also that, you know, Michael Moore puts himself in the film. Oliver Stone isn't, you know, going around interviewing these supposed characters, you know. Let's go back to Bowling for Columbine, because in the beginning of the movie, he poses the questions. Why do so many people blame music, movies, and video games for the tragedy? So if you're going to expound upon that same logic, why not blame bowling? I would say because bowling doesn't have a major influence on people. And another thing that he kind of just brushed off was parental responsibility. Um, he didn't really even talk about Dylan Claybold and Eric Harris's parents. It was kind of just like, you know, ha ha, they went bowling. Or actually, it turns out they didn't go bowling, which kind of uh, conflicts with the title of his movie. Yeah, but did, did you read what he said about that on his website? He, yeah, he said the uh, cops said that it was, and some people said that it was, but all that stuff was retracted before Bowling for Columbine was released. Yeah, and he says, you know, the opening lines, I was just asking the questions. Well, in that segment with the, uh, you know, addressing the bowling, um, he, do he asked questions, but then he kind of, like, the way the questions are asked, they're rhetorical questions. In my opinion. And I agree with that. Have you read the Fahrenheit 9-11 Teacher's Guide from the Michael Moore's website? No, I didn't. I uh, read the, a little bit of the Bowling for Columbine Teacher's Guide, though. What is right or what is wrong with having a teacher's guide for a film that has factual errors? <laughs> well, more than likely, if, if a teacher is going to be... Well, the problem is... In an educational place like a college or a high school, or even a middle school maybe, you have students who more than likely they just kind of accept what's told to them by author authority figures. And if the, teacher do if the teacher's not examining his films as, you know, is this propaganda pieces? Like, I didn't even know what the word propaganda was when I was in high school. Well, or, you know, like early high school. So... The problem is it's, it's like teaching a history book with problems all over it. Let me read to you one of the questions from the teacher's guide from Fahrenheit 9-11. This is an actual question in the teacher's guide. 
In cities like Flint, where the jobless rate is 17% and poor people suffer and die needless deaths, is it fair to say that they are suffering from a form of terrorism? Isn't that a leading question? What kind of question is that? I mean, exactly. That is that is a question that you're trying to push an agenda through. And that's, that's why when I, I see on the site a teacher's guide and a question like that, it's like he's now promoting the agenda into the schools. Promoting it in your films is one thing, but then trying to get the educational system or some teacher who's a sucker to push this through is just unbelievable. Yeah, and I actually heard that uh, Bowling for Columbine is required viewing material in some high schools. Maybe even Fahrenheit 9-11 is now. you got to be kidding me. Nope. What do you, do you know of the school systems that have that as required viewing? I don't know if it's school systems. Uh, I think it might just be specific schools, but I don't know names. That's just something that I believe I read in, um, what was it? Michael Moore is a big, fat, stupid white man. I, I can't think of it right now. And here's the final question. Is Michael Moore the voice of the majority or the minority of the Democratic Party, in your opinion? Uh, he's a far-left liberal, and I believe he's a minority voice that a lot of Democrats wanted to distance themselves from during the uh, even the 2004 elections, and especially now. But now he's kind of you know doing a, a film now, which hopefully, you know, it's about the health care system. There's a lot of room to criticize them without, you know, presenting uh, incorrect facts. So I just hope that um, his next documentary, Sicko, I believe is the name, isn't like his past three documentaries, but hey. But isn't his credibility shot at this point? No, there's a, according to the people who are reacting my, to my film on YouTube, a lot of people still agree with him. Adam, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. So fire away. Oh, yeah. Hopefully these haven't been asked before, but uh, what was one of your most embarrassing teenage moments? Oh, one of the most embarrassing teenage moments was when I went to the my senior spring prom and at the time, I wore glasses, and I had put the glasses away in the glass case in in the car before we went dancing. And then afterwards, we went to a restaurant, and I put the glasses on, and it just didn't look like it was in focus. And the whole night, it just didn't look like it was in focus. And it wasn't until I took my date home and I got home myself that I realized that one of my glass lenses had popped out. And I'd been going the whole night with only one lens in my glasses. How, how did that happen? <laughs> it's, it's, it's true, and it, it boggles my mind, too. But, you know, my friends let me go through the whole night with just one lens in my glasses. And, and do you recall them laughing at you for no reason? You know, I, that night. I try to look back and try to say, okay, was this person looking or laughing? And no, I, I must have just been into my date too much. Maybe that was that was it. How I wonder, was your date too nervous? I mean, did you ask people afterwards, hey, did you notice this? No. Oh, no, I didn't ask anybody. 
Oh, you were so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. I was hoping no, I was actually hoping nobody had noticed, but I'm sure somebody did. Yeah. How about for yourself? Oh man. Uh, I, I can't think of any right now. I got a lot though. Chicken. Okay. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Well, I'll come back to it. Okay. How about, uh, question number two? My second question for you is if you could choose which era of history or year in the future would you like to live and why? I like where I'm living right now because I, I think that with all the technology and all the, all the information age, I think it's pretty cool to be here to go back to a time that would be cool to visit and not live. I'd like to go back to maybe the American Revolution just to experience the the birth of a country. I think that would be very cool. And it might be very cool to see what it's like to live in the year 2100. How about for you? Uh, I would actually say the same thing around the uh, colonial times. And just, to, you know, if, if I could just visit in a time machine, I wouldn't want to live there because, you know, we just have the, t- the technology of today and the food choices. I mean, you really you take it for granted that you can go to any restaurant in the city and get food from across the world, you know? Oh, absolutely. A lot of the settlers died just because of bad nutrition. Yep, and we're, we're living like, uh, like you said, fat, fat, loud people. Adam, what's question number three? To be with the Christmas spirits. Uh, I hope you celebrate Christmas. Oh, absolutely. Okay. What was your favorite Christmas present as a child? I had a lot of great ones. I remember the Lost in Space robot that I got when I was probably five years old. Way back when, when the Lost in Space was actually on live television, that was pretty cool to have. How about for you? The coolest present, I think, ever as a kid was getting two full-size arcade machines, a a Super Pac-Man and a Tank Battalion. Now, these were games from the 80s, but I think it was early 90s when I got them. And they were just so much fun. And my parents, uh, they, I, I think they got them down the basement and told us we couldn't go in the basement because there were a bunch of rats down there. And Oh, um, you fell for the old I, rat routine. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, hey, how are they going to hide these two giant machines? Yeah, don't go down in the basement, kids. We got giant rats that will eat you. Yep. But uh, yeah, that uh, I, I'm, I'm I was definitely into video games as a kid, and that was that put a big grin on my face. Definitely, that had to have been really cool to walk down the basement and see those two games. Yep, and then the funny thing is, sometimes we charge people to play them. <laughs> Adam, do you want to tell about your podcast and your website, and also how people can view your DVD? Sure. Um. My podcast uh, is called Rants and Raves. It's available at www.rarshow.com. I've been doing I've been doing that since I was 14 years old, and I do anything on there for for video skits. I do audio stuff, uh, interviews, just my friends. I, I interview a lot of local people. Um, it's just something. It's just a hobby. And then uh, for Six Degrees from Truth, Michael Moore. 
people can find it on YouTube, on Google Video. Um, links for those are available at www.the6dft.com. Adam, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. Remember that you can listen to the show every day at Coolcast Radio. And, of course, we always appreciate your subscriptions at iTunes and Yahoo Podcasts. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.